Nothing. Okay, what do we got here? The Detroit camera shop, and it's September 24th. I close this one. And this thing will run all day, so I don't, uh, I don't worry about it. And it's not going to be here all day. Yeah, right. But you can't tell what is in these stories. Well, most of them are true. Well, that's more than you can say for lots of people. Let me, uh, just by way of uh, introducing myself a little better, I've spoken to you both on the phone several times. So let me uh, let me show you this, which just uh, doesn't say too much. It's a, a press release from the museum recently uh, about my project. It's pretty much what I told you on the phone, a uh, little description of it, and uh, you can keep that if you want. Uh, that uh, says something about what I'm trying to do. Let me just make a note for the tape that I'm uh, speaking with Ed Wurst and Isidore Berger. I take it people don't call you Isidore too much. Well, it, it all depends. When the judge puts his hand on my shoulder and he says, now Izzy. <laughs> then you know something's up on yeah, one type. Yeah, I, I said, I'm on the losing end. <laughs> and if he says Mr. Berger, it's another... I feel better. <laughs> okay, well... Um, let me just, uh, let's start with some general kinds of questions. What, I, what I'm interested in is a, a couple of things. First of all, of course, uh, I'm interested in any information specifically about Art Siegel. But I'm also interested in any information that would give me a feeling of what was going on in Detroit when he, in the period just before he left Detroit. Um, not necessarily even things he would have been involved in, but things he would have been aware of and the things he might have detested or might have loved or might have, you know, to give me as much sense of that uh, you know, of that period as I can uh, as I can get, so that when I go and I speak with him about it, I'll be able to understand better what he's saying and question him better and so on, which is the purpose. I'm going to go be uh, seeing him uh, right at the end of October, probably spend about 10 days in Chicago. He's teaching full-time still. Um, he's not in particularly good health at the moment. Um, oh. He had a big exploratory operation uh, recently, and uh, he's not in, in fairly good shape, but he is teaching full-time. I told him I inquired about him. Yeah, he mentioned uh, both your names when I spoke to him briefly, uh, sort of setting things up with him initially. Because I said, well, gee, isn't, uh, I knew he was from Detroit, and I was aware that he had been involved in some things here. And, uh, you know, I said, is there anyone in Detroit? Because my parents live out in Birmingham, and I grew up in Detroit, and uh, so it was fairly easy for me to make this trip, you know, and uh, I thought she might be kind of interesting. And, and I, I also find uh, that when I've done these interviews, that what I've been able to discover through my research efforts about the very earliest part of someone's life is worth ten times what I can find out about what happened to him later on. Because uh, invariably you start right at the beginning, you know, when you start talking, even if you go off on a wild goose chase afterwards. Um, and if they see that you've really tried to do your homework there, then they realize that, you know, you're really after, uh, you just don't want to sort of Mickey Mouse around and that they're, it's worth their time, you know, to go on. And of course, all, the purpose of this really ultimately is just to add to the historic record. The material, the tape and a transcript of the tape will be in the archives at the museum in Rochester. And there's a couple other archives of photographic material, one in Tucson, Arizona, and so on that will have copies of it um, eventually. But that's the, uh, that's the ultimate thing. But the purpose now, like I said, is just to give me general information to do the interview better um, with art. So let me just ask about uh, the Detroit Camera Club. Now I've heard various names. Miniature Camera Club Detroit. What what was the earliest thing that you remember the name and how did you know what kind of sounds like the organization sort of went through some name changes and was really the same group of people. I mean is that what well, was Ed would know that before because he was with the Miniature Camera Club. That was the original. That before I got involved. Now were you involved with that when it was formed? Well just offhandedly not to I mean yeah. now could you could you give me some idea approximately when that was? Do you recall roughly? Uh, that's difficult because uh, that's a long time ago now, and when you look back, you know, the years kind of telescope on you. It would have to be probably in the early um, 
early 30s or the late 20s. Well, let's put it this way. Well, how early would you have been interested in such a thing, um, you know, or active in it? Uh, well, I've, I've been in this business all my life, and it's well over 50 years. So it's hard to... Originally, the, the first club in Detroit was a Detroit Camera Club. That was a club of the pictorialists. And then when the... And that would go back, what, past World War One? you mean, or... or yeah, well, it originally to... started, yeah, back in uh, 1917, 18, and then it uh, it lapsed for a while, and it was revived in 1921 or 22, and it ran until mm -hmm. in the 30s sometime, probably the late 30s, something like that. I thought this... And then was the, the Miniature Camera Club sort of a... Another group that was formed as an offshoot or as a well, it was another group, group that, really? It was an offshoot, actually. Um, the Detroit Camera Club was basically a club of pictorialists, conformists, and uh, by the time the Miniature Camera Club was formed, you already had the uh, people who didn't feel that uh, didn't have to follow the basic concepts of composition and that sort of thing. And, uh, they were looking for good photographs rather than something that had a composition according to mm -hmm. rule. And that's where it started. This would have been sort of around the time that the Leica became really readily available? Yeah, because that, yeah, because that was in about 1927, 28. One of the first people in the city who owned a Leica was Valentina Sara, who at that time... Uh, how was how his last name spelled? S-A-R-R-A. Ah, okay, yes, I, I've seen his name. Yeah, I think he's in Chicago. Yeah, he's quite a well-known photographer. That time, he worked for a while as, um, worked on the line at Ford Motor Company, and then he went to work for the Lee F. Redmond studio. And he had one of the first Leicas that came out. And uh, he was uh, quite an active amateur photographer. He did a lot of pictorial things. Yeah, I've seen pictures of his in annuals yeah. and so on. Just Sarah, just the... Yeah. So the miniature camera club probably formed what, 31, 32, 33? I think in somewhere in that range, yeah. Right. I thought, I, what I was looking for, I thought I had a... I think there's a Yeah, 1933 it started. So you virtually have a whole history there. Yeah, geez, this is yeah. interesting. Uh, this is all the, uh, this is Floodlight by the Photographic yeah, Guild of Detroit. And this has got all the past presidents, which 33 is the first president of this. this that group. is Burger's name's in there too. Yeah, yeah sure. Not 36 is. or 37? 41 to 42 as president. I'm the guy who changed the name from the miniature to the Photographic Guild. Ah, so that, so that. When the, the first president listed here in 1933 was the beginning of the Miniature Camera Club. And then around the time you would have been president is when the name changed, around 41 yeah. or so. I see. Okay, well that's sort of... Uh, now, the was the Miniature Camera Club then, I take it, pretty much devoted to 35mm uh, photography to fairly straightforward types of printing relative to, say, brome oil and all that kind of thing? That have been the general I think basically as it started, it, it developed in the, uh, you know, it expanded uh, and became more uh, pictorially minded as they went along. But basically, I think it started as a, mm -hmm. uh, a group of users of 35 millimeter equipment. Because mm -hmm. they were kind of looked down at by the uh, conventional photographer who was using three and quarter, four and a quarter reflexes and things and, like and that. And larger, yeah. They just didn't want to pay attention to 35 This was really just a, almost a toy, it was the first reaction yeah. to the 35. Well, uh, was that a very small group of people that originally started, like uh, just a real handful of people, essentially? No, I don't think it was that small. I, I would have guessed that probably it started with a group of like 50 people, something well, like that. It's a pretty fair-sized group, yeah. really. For a, it's always been yeah. a pretty good size, because even when you were involved, they had tenants of 100 in, the, in oh, that yes. area. Yeah. It, and then it grew to a group of two, 300. I don't know what the size is now, but it's still fairly large. It's one of the largest camera clubs now in, in the country, mm -hmm. it's in size and also in excellence and activity. Participation and yeah. so on. Hmm. Okay. Um, did the Miniature Camera Club have any 
particular kind of like events of its own, or what do they have a normal sort of camera club types of uh, things of competitions and or you know what? Well, as I remember it, basically it was a um, club that met. I think they met about once a month, mm -hmm. and then they reviewed prints. Everybody brought a print, and it was reviewed in general for discussion. It's kind of a general. And then they session. brought in as they could. They brought in outside speakers. Uh, who was it we had? Well, Ansel Adams came here for a couple of weeks. Um, this was around the time it had changed to the photo guild now. Yeah, yeah so around the 40s somewhere. When I got involved in it actively then, uh, I brought in uh, uh, Otto Fassbender, uh, Eleanor Park, Custis. Now, is that C-U-S-T-U-S? C-U-S-T-I-S. C-I-S? Mm -hmm. Eleanor Park Custis. And oh, oh, there's seven or eight of the nationally known, and we bring them here for, for sessions where they could stay a couple of days or a couple of weeks, and we would have um, seminars with these particular individuals. Mm -hmm. Want to charge a nominal fee to help pay for those things? Yeah, of, yeah. Type of thing. I know, like Ansel Adams. I still remember my argument with him. I says, you know, you've got a, a mountain. You got a sea going back 10 miles where you can count each leaf mm -hmm. and you got it an 8 by 10. The print. The print. Yeah. You know, and hanging on a wall. See? I said, it's all right to hold in your hand. And, um, but eventually, um, he listened to me. Joke. Uh, but uh, uh, now, if you want to have a, a mural, it's got to have a, size on the thing. Yeah, and he did make a lot of those but size. But I argued with him. I said, what you are doing can't be. It's impossible to do what you are now showing me, a picture, where you can count the leaves mm -hmm. a mile away on the tree, you know, and uh, the veins in the foreground of the rocks. Impossible in what way? Well, it can't be done. Physically, it's impossible for a photograph to do that. And he was... And he, was and he showed me that he did it. <laughs> but anyway, I spent two weeks with him and spent two weeks in the dark room and we went out shooting pictures. This is a little later and you visited him you're talking about? Yeah, well, he was visited us here, ah. see? And he stayed with me mm -hmm. and uh, used my dark room. And uh, we went out and took pictures. And he used a tripod and I used a tripod. And we went down to my dark room and he, he twirled it with his left hand and I with my right hand mm -hmm. the wheel. <laughs> and he used the same developer that I do, D76. Mm -hmm. and, um, and he came up with pictures and I came up with pictures. And, <laughs> you know. Right. Well, um, did this kind of, I mean, I, I suppose when the thing started you were primarily bringing in some local people, and then as time went on, started to bring in people like Ansel, who was, what, of course, from California at that point. And well, of course, he was younger, too. Yeah. Right, yeah. But the people, I mean, we, we created in the Photographic Guild a tremendous amount of competition and, uh, and interest in photography, where it became a part of uh, the lifeblood of the people who got involved. Now, if what I find, if I went back and looked at, say, old, like, Sunday issues of the Detroit News, would I find articles from time to time, or something like that, mentions of it, if I were to do that kind of uh, yes. digging around? It was the most active club in, in, in town. Now, the Detroit Camera Club was still going on as it started. Well, I was the last president of the Detroit Camera Club, and Gene Elwell and I tried to keep it alive, mm -hmm. and we, we gave up. Now, when would it have died? About? I, 1812. No, you said that. That was, that was the year you went to Africa. <laughs> yeah, I, I, was it before you were president of the photo guild? Yeah. No, no, after. No, no, it was later than that. Yeah. Was it during the war? Or was no, it just no, was even later than that? Because the last meetings were held, I guess, at Reverend Whittlefield's out on Hubble and Grand River there. I think oh, it was after that, that, yeah. Last. So it was around, I would have guessed, around uh, in the 1940s somewhere. But late 40s? Found, yeah, something like that. 48, 40. 46 to 9, somewhere in there. Probably, yeah. Pretty much. Yeah, I just wanted to ask a thing. This is a little off the track here, but I see Harvey Crows was the president of this before you, and uh, I uh, attended Cranbrook School for six years as a oh. secondary school student, and uh, Harvey took my senior picture, and he took uh, 
picture me in a school play and for years and years. You yeah, know. He's living up in Harrison, Michigan now, about 115 miles from Detroit, and he was a member of the Common Council there. The, uh, and I remember I, I knew his, uh, his son was in Africa. I don't know if he's still in Africa. He probably his is. His son is a PhD and uh, was living in Africa for a number of years. And, uh, he, he was a uh, senior when I was about in eighth grade, as his son was. And, and uh, I just wondered, just interesting to see his name, to come back to it now in, this, uh, you know, in a whole new capacity here to run across it. Um, was he, was he, would he have been working at Cranbrook then? Was yes. that basically where he? Yes. His Just base operation time he the whole time. Didn't he work for Chrysler or something? No, he was uh, he was working for the city of Detroit Department of um, Public Works, and he lived uh, in uh, Eight Mile um, Palmer Park in one of the recreation buildings upstairs, mm. <laughs> and that was before uh, uh, Harvey Jr. was born. Mm -hmm. Yeah, was there any kind of newsletter that was published? By the, uh, the the miniature camera club or uh, the photo Detroit camera, camera that, that Detroit camera shop subsidized, as far as I can remember, uh, the bulletin and the newsletter that we put out over the years, and also the Detroit camera shop. Talk to Margaret, please, and don't come on the speaker. And the Detroit camera shop also. When they were in this other building on State Street, that during the war, when film was scarce, mm -hmm. and we had a project at the USO where this group in Detroit, Doc Marinas, Muzz Miller, would go to the USO and take pictures, hundreds of them every week, mm -hmm. two or three hundred thousand of them. Mm -hmm. We would send the negative and the print to the family. Family of the servicemen. Yes. And uh, I was able to get film through Walter Wurst. Mm -hmm. for, for a good purpose, you were able to get the film uh, in spite of the scarcity, more or less. Well, we didn't try to convince anybody that it was a good purpose. We just did it when nobody was looking. <laughs> I think that's the way a lot of good purposes get served, yeah. actually. So, would. would uh, Art Siegel had been a member of the, the Miniature Camera Club. Would he have been a, one of the avid 35-millimeter uh, people at that uh, pretty early on? Well, I think he was involved with the Detroit Camera Club at one time. I'm pretty sure he was. And I think he belonged to the Miniature. I'm not sure, but I, well, he, he I think so. Well, he me, made himself known. Mm -hmm. I don't remember. He, he was always... Fighting with the Bolsheviks. Yeah. He come down, but I'm not going to like it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> See, yeah. It hasn't changed much from what I hear. No. Yeah. no it, this was the, the, the part about art. You always had a feeling of guilt having a good time. Mm -hmm. See, in, in, in other words, if I'm enjoying myself, I, yeah, I come down with a, a pretty picture. Mm -hmm. And this happens, everybody, you know, hey, look, Ma, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, the fact that you can make a print itself was an achievement, sure, yeah. because your, your, your my mother couldn't do it, neither could my father, and I could come upstairs and I would have a print, and her comment was, you know, gee, you'll have to send it into the paper. Right. See? So, but every time I progressed and made it 16 by 20s, and um, if I was in the room or in the group, you know, I, I would hide it. I'd be afraid to bring it out. Well, what, what kind of thing was he really getting at, though? What was well, it was just, it ain't right. I mean, you know, you're, it was difficult for him to express what's wrong with it as I am trying to express it now. Um, he was just um, revolting. I, I don't mean he was revolting. <laughs> yeah, right, he was rebelling. <laughs> rebelling is the better word, see. Because he was, he, he is a... He is a he is I won't a, tell him you said he was revolting. <laughs> a, nice, a nice guy. You know, right, really. oh, I understand. But, but stimulating, stimulating. Mm -hmm. This is the part about Art Siegel. I attended, we had classes in his home. Went there for weeks at time, sitting on the floor. Uh, Joe Monroe, I happen to think, uh, was there. And uh, the point is that he's stimulating. He was stimulated. 
What was now let me let me ask this uh would you would it be reasonable to characterize like uh his response to these pictures uh, you know that made you feel like you wanted to hide them maybe that he was uh, sort of a purist about it and this was this was not really sticking to the hard and fast way i mean is that kind of part of part well of i don't know he, he might like to be called a purist the western school and the ansel adams school and the maholi nagi and so on mm -hmm. and uh, but he um, he was Seeking out, you know, there was, there was something wrong with what we were producing here. Mm -hmm. And he was trying to, um, to feel out and to discuss it. And as a result, he was, he was very, very helpful in making people think. See? Mm -hmm. see? And it isn't so much about this particular picture, is the thinking that, that went into it. Mm -hmm. I just happen to remember Nicholas Haas, we brought him here for two weeks. And he had a, his big, I don't know if you know Nick Haas, but he was, the, a, oh, he was a, the world's greatest in, in the field. There's nobody was any better. And his ability to analyze a, a picture, and his big forte was a point of emphasis, you know, a point of emphasis. And I had him here for two weeks. And he, over at U of D, we had a meeting room there. Mm -hmm. And he got up there to discuss points of emphasis, and his fly was open. <laughs> and I remember going up on the platform and uh, telling him that it isn't done here. <laughs> but Art Siegel, if I can, when you called me mm -hmm. and you asked me about it and you started asking specific questions about him, mm -hmm. um, I found as I thought about it over the days after I talked with you. I was thinking of it, about Art Siegel. And I think that you could summarize it in this ability to stimulate people thinking it in Detroit, he was tops in, in, in that line. In terms of being a real... I, I, don't, I don't recall anything at the moment about his picture-making ability. Mm -hmm. I can't remember about any pictures that he made yeah, it's an interesting sort of parallel comment to that. I mean, at this point in time, uh, seen on a broad from a broad perspective, his his real importance in photography is, uh, I would say, primarily as someone who's who's been teaching for many years, which is really the type of function you're talking about. He's made a lot of different kinds of pictures, but he, I think, pretty candidly admits that that's not his achievement so much as this the teaching that he's done since the '40s in Chicago. There, he's still at the Institute of Design. Um, and you know that that really has been his contribution to sort of be a catalyst for people and to ask these kinds of questions and so on. Um, you know, it's, as it's, you're saying, in this early period, it really was what he was showing. And I had a feeling that he, in his own mind, wasn't clear. See, you know, and this happens in anybody trying to create something. Uh, mm -hmm. This happens. They, 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 whether it's in sculpture or painting. Uh, you, you rebel and you're trying to do something and you're not sure and you reach out and finally mm -hmm. something comes out. Let me, uh, let me ask this. I'm wondering if, if uh, either one of you could, has any memory like of maybe one of your first contacts with him or when you first became aware of him? Um, yeah. You know, when he first uh, pulled this on you or just a, you know, maybe a, a kind of an initial impression that might place him uh, in some way. Well, he was a, a struggling professional photographer for a while when he was younger. Matter of fact, I think he worked for us for a very short worked time. Worked at the camera shop yeah. for a period of time? But for a short time. Mm -hmm. And then he did freelance type of work. And I think, well, I think that's the way he supported himself. Now, almost let, me, let me throw out some, I've got some miscellaneous facts that I can't quite put in order here that I've heard about him relative to uh, before he goes to Chicago permanently. That um, he apparently went to the University of Michigan for a few years and then finished a degree at, at Wayne State, I believe. I've heard that he taught in some capacity in the Detroit public school system, that he also taught in some capacity at Wayne State, um, that at some point, this might have been after the war, he worked for the Associated Press in Detroit, um, and that he also did his freelance photography that you refer to. Um, and I'm wondering if there's, you know, plus somewhere in here, in 1937, 
he goes to Chicago for, I guess, a term or a year as a student of Maholi's. You know, in, in one of the very first sessions of the what later became the Institute of Design. Um, in fact, the first session, I believe, the first year when they lost all the money and they had to start over again, basically, a year later, with the name Institute of Design. And uh, I guess went to that and came back. Um, and he would have been about 24 when he went to Chicago for that year as a student. So he would have been pretty, just out of school, basically, just out of college. And then I guess probably came back and tried to work as a, as a professional and, and may have become involved in these organizations right around that time. Um, well, I know he went to Wayne, but I didn't think he went to Michigan. Well, I didn't think he taught in the public schools here, either. You well, have I'm no not sure. particular recollection of that. No, but I, that's, just, that's so not my impression. If he did, it's not your recollection. No. I have a vague recollection of going to Chicago for a year and coming back. That I don't know. You, so you Same probably you think you probably knew him before he went, and then when he came. Oh yeah, he, he couldn't have been when when I first knew him. He couldn't have been more than 17, 18, 19 years old or something like that. Okay, now let's see if he. I'm just trying to calculate here. If he was about. What is he? About 60 now. Well, he was. Um, he was born in 1913, so he's. It's about 65 uh, almost. And the thing I've seen in print is that he began photographing in 1927, where he would have been 14. Now, you know, so you're talking about just a couple of years after that when he got himself sorted out a little bit uh, in photography. Do you have any re recollection of his doing any teaching other than his home? No, I don't. Because he struggled for a long time. Hey, you know, primarily in a commercial yeah, yeah, photographic yeah, thing. Yeah. Yeah, I guess, and I think that that course that is is talking about. I think that was one of his one of the sources of income at the time. I mean, he needed that sort of yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah. But we did it at his in his home. This is he lived on Tyler Avenue. Tyler, yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds right. Mm -hmm. That's what uh, Margaret uh, yeah. said to me. And you attended one of those? Uh, oh yes, I, I was. What did trying. you do? Did you have like a six-week session, and you met? Uh, yes, and we'd sit on the floor, and um, and I was. Be Sure, wouldn't bring any of my pictures down. You now, no, why was that? Is that the same reasons you were? Same reason, you know. I'm I'm sensitive, you know. I'm, uh, and they, my wife tells me I haven't changed. <laughs> <laughs> and he would step on your toes if you gave him a chance. I guess. Well, because he was wrong. <laughs> you know, <coughs> a problem a lot well, of teachers have. <laughs> yeah, you'd always say, "Well, why did you take that picture? Why would you take that for? You know that." That sort of thing. I know, I have a, yeah. one in my car next door in the parking lot oh, that I'm so proud of, you know, mm -hmm. uh, age defiant, you know, it's a big head. And that was the day of big heads, mm -hmm. see. This is like a 16 by 20 or bigger? Yeah, of course, but nothing else but a 16 by 20, see. Uh -huh. And, uh, you know, he'd, um, well, there's nothing that I did, which was good. I mean, uh, it, this is what made me, this is what made me <laughs> what yeah, I have. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because I was it's a, a challenge. Yeah. That's right, yeah. a challenge, and I uh, uh, poked my nose over, and I, I, there was uh, I couldn't get enough of it. See? And it's one of the things that I can be thankful for you know, is photography. Mm -hmm. It's a it was a part of my lifeblood, and uh, my trips around the world would never have been taken except to do photography. No, it, photography was the, st the the stimulating thing that caused me to go. And uh, I've been around, I don't know how many times around the world, with a, with a knapsack and a tripod, and a camera too. <laughs> but, Details. But this is the, the point uh, that um, I can say about Art Siegel is that he, in Detroit he was the top pitcher. <laughs> Did he? That's a great characterization of him. From I don't know, I haven't seen him in years. From everything I've heard that it's as apt today as it was uh, when, when you knew him closely. The, uh, you know, that his students are terrified of him and love him both, yeah. you know. And uh, in fact, uh, as a little aside here, I, I, um, I went to Ohio University and did some work in photography there. And when I was applying there, I worked with Clarence White, Jr. Uh, for a while and some other people there. I had also applied to the Institute of Design. I'd been accepted, but I was talking to a teacher of mine from another school said, well, if you go there, if you get along well with Arthur Sigley, you have a great time, and if you don't, you may come out and bust, you know? And it, it sounded like a fairly risky proposition, and I avoided it. I probably shouldn't have, though, you know? Well, Axel Bonson from Yellow Springs 
We had them here also. Axel Bonson, how would you spell that last name? B-A-H-N-S-E-N, or something like that. I think that's right. Mm -hmm. A number of times, he was uh, one of Art Siegel's time, you know. Now, was, would, would he have been this, uh, this person you're referring to, would he have been a, essentially a pictorial photographer or a commercial yes. photographer? He was commercial, but uh, also did a lot of pictorial work. Now, I, the sense I get, and from other things I've read and so on, other people I've talked to, is that at this point, um, there's a kind of a turmoil that there's a, there's a, as you start the 30s really, the pictorial thing is, by most people, a lot of commercial photographers included, considered to be the sort of artistic way to go about it. And yet, there's miniature camera people and other kinds of stuff starting to question that, and you get a kind of a, it sounds like he was, perhaps art was the, the, the big questioner of those other ways. Well, I, I would say he was anti-pictorial. He was oh, yeah. not, yeah, he definitely wasn't. Right, yeah. But the point that I have always stressed is the only answer I can get to this anti-pictorialism mm -hmm. is why am I taking this picture? And if the end result fits in with why, mm -hmm. if I want to sell Gerber's baby food, I'm not going to send him a picture like that. See. It's a nice landscape. See. Yeah. But if I want something to hang in my office at the Detroit camera shop, see. Then it's a different story. See. Why am I taking the picture? And this is one of my always arguments with Art Siegel, the only defense I could have, see. That if I'm taking something to enter salons, and if I'm interested in getting ribbons, mm -hmm. and if it does that, because there's no use my sending the kind of pictures that you like to salons, mm -hmm. if that's what I'm interested in. So it's hard to um, argue against that, see, because it's good if it accomplishes the purpose. Now, if you don't like my purpose, then don't invite me over for coffee. Was he given to questioning the purpose too? I assume. Well, yes. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah this is a you know, yeah. it's another another big head, is he? Yeah. See, and um, you know, yeah, and you, you, yeah, and you. you and you chopped off his hand, you know, coming out of the picture. What happened to the man's hand? You mm -hmm. know? Let me uh, let me ask a little bit about his commercial photography. Uh, you said you thought he was, or that for a long period he was really kind of struggling. I assume what he probably. Well, I think all the while he was here, he more or less struggled. Would have been all up to World War II, basically. Uh, I would think so. Pretty yeah. much. I would think so. Do you recall that he did work for Associated Press in some? Capacity, or maybe sold a picture to him. Now uh, and then. I have a vague recollection of him being connected with the Associated Press. I could Press find out a little on the others. Uh, this afternoon, from here, Joe Clark is having a, um, a little open house this afternoon, and um, this is the hillbilly snapshooter. Yeah, and uh, with his son Junebug. Yeah, I met Junebug. And um, <laughs> and he uh, and I'm going to present him this afternoon with a bug. See, it's 4,000 years old. Oh, a little scarab. Scarab here, yeah. yeah. That I picked up in Egypt, or I acquired it from somebody who picked it up with hieroglyphics all over the back. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to present this to him this, this afternoon. And he would, re Joe Clark would recall something of this commercial... Uh, because Joe Clark has done a lot of work for the Associate Preston for Life and so on here. Now, was Joe Clark in Detroit? Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. yeah Joe Clark started as a uh, night watchman at the Jail Hudson Company. And he bought, in fact, he was, he came in, I think he bought his first good camera from us, a little Rolleiflex. Uh -huh. And he, you know, he banged around with that Rolleiflex for a long time and began to make those hillbilly stories and he just took off. And then just made a go of it for well, that. Yeah. he was having the trouble. He's the guy that you really should be interviewing. Yeah, I should go out and talk about A story about because... He lives out in like Farmington Hills. On area. 12 Mile Road off of... I've uh, seen his sign on his... Yeah. The red and yellow sign. Yeah, I handled his legal work and so on, and we're good friends. But <coughs> Joe was having trouble trying to take pictures like Hollywood. And Francis Wu and I got into the big argument. I said, "You go to Hong Kong, you want to, you want pictures that have a Hong Kong flavor." Mm -hmm. So when he wanted to take my picture, I says, wait a minute, I went out and bought myself a Chinese fiddle mm -hmm. and brought it up for background, see. And I said, argued with Joe Clark, I said, Joe, you know, you're, you're not a Redmond, see. I said, you're Joe Clark, you're a hillbilly. Mm -hmm. And um, I stood, and he, 
poke fun in his way about these pet people that got FRPSs and so on. So I said, why don't you adopt your own? And we talked about it. So came up with HBSS. Yeah, yeah. Hillbilly snapshooters. Yeah. And as a result, uh, I know he went to take pictures for it was Packard Motor or Chrysler's. They asked him to come over and give him a bid on photographing the board of directors mm -hmm. and the officers and the high brass. So this public relations man took him around and introduced him to each of the fellows in their office. And then when he needed, he had his 35 millimeter with him, you know, you know, snap. And then he was supposed to give the fellow a bid. Instead of giving him a bid, he sent the proofs. Yeah. See? And did a good job. Yeah. Well, he always has a feeling, you know, for, for a subject, and he comes up with the story, and he has that viewpoint. And he still won't use a tripod. I climbed to the, mount of, the top of Mount Kilimanjaro. Yeah, with a tripod. The tripod. <laughs> I said, damn it all, if I, would, if I make it, see, I'm going to have a good picture. <laughs> well, what other types of things would, uh, would Art Siegel have tried to do commercially? Uh, I mean, what were, there, what were the agencies or what were the... He didn't actually ever work in the photo department of any of the car companies as some other people did, I guess. No, uh, I don't think so. Always, I think he was always independent. I, I think, as I, as I recall back, freelancing, going up to make a living, mm -hmm. he would do like all photographers locally, everywhere to do, take the usual stuff, all mm -hmm. mitzvahs and weddings. And, and oh, so. he actually did all that kind of stuff? As, as it comes back, I can't pinpoint it, but uh, you have to do it. Yeah, I think he'd have done anything that he could get. You know. Anything from a grip and grin to the... Yeah. Yeah. Because still at that time, I think he was, you know, feeling, reaching for, he really didn't know exactly what he wanted to do, or at least he wasn't able to do what he wanted to do, so he did, you know, whatever was there was in photography to give him the ability to keep on going. This is the way you grow. Yeah. yeah. What, what do you think it was at that point in time? I mean, you, you knew him at that time, you saw him struggling, he probably came in here and bought materials and so on, and, and uh, what do you think he was trying to, what would he have liked to have done right then, or did he know? Or, you know he what? didn't know. No, I, I think it, he was just loaded with energy and interested in photography. He just wanted to keep doing photography, and this is just any what way happened, yeah. He could. Yeah. And then he got interested in that Chicago thing, and that's probably what gave him his final direction. Mm -hmm. You know, or decided what he wanted to do. Photographs, I just yeah. happened to recall. Was Did he have all his classes doing photographs? Yes, yeah. That was part of the, the class. You know, see what you can do with form and shape, you know, just with form and shape, see, with a photogram, you know. And uh, let's discuss it. And uh, so we did. So what have you got? Ink block, you know. And when I said that to him, you know, you know what he must have said to me. <laughs> well, what, what, what I'm sure if you talk to him, I'm sure that he'd make some wisecrack about me. No doubt, I suppose. No doubt, you know, because I was a typical example of, uh, of the thing that he was fighting against. You know? He needed you around because you were such a good example of it, sounds yeah, like. Yeah, yeah. Perhaps. I have here a thing uh, that I came across in my travels, which is a... This is from the U U.S. Camera Annual 1941, and it's a it's a Xerox of a picture that he did in uh, uh, I think he says uh, Cadillac Square during a big oh, UAW oh, yeah, meeting. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. titled "Right of Assembly." Uh, yeah. Gee, I took yeah. one. That looks like mine. <laughs> a lot of people took pretty much that shot. Yeah. Well, if you got about three stories up and looked down at the crowd, that's yeah. what you got. Yeah. Yeah. He may have gone out to my office because I had I was in that building. Oh, your office looked out yeah. uh, yeah. there. Yeah, that was just the one picture, and uh, in the data there, he refers to uh, some of the photographers that uh, influenced him. He refers to Paul Outerbridge, which I thought was interesting. Uh, well, he talks about Weston and Nancy Adams, Maholi Nadi. Yeah, here, have a, have a look at it. It's not just a Xerox, but it gets the idea across. Uh, um, let me ask. Oh, let me ask why we're talking on the, on the subject uh, about another fellow who uh, was in Detroit somewhere in around here and was a friend of Siegel's and worked with him in Chicago uh, later on for a while. Uh, Harry Callahan. Oh yes, Harry is. Harry was different than Art, in my opinion. Harry came up with end results. Mm -hmm. See, he came, he produced stuff, <clears throat> and Harry 
in art thinking were in the in the same direction. But Harry's, uh, I don't recall, and that doesn't mean that art hasn't come up with some stuff. See, but I can't. Re I do recall Callahan's work. Some of his photographs yes, yes. from that time you recall. And since then, I've uh, I've watched it in articles and magazines. Yeah, the book published too. Yeah, Callahan's yeah, had actually yeah. quite a lot of acclaim recently. Yeah. Yeah. Just retired from teaching in Rhode Island. Uh, and has a New York gallery yeah. selling his work now. Well, his photography's beautiful. You know, he does that kind of miniaturization thing. And it's yeah, you know, really... It's, uh, yeah, a little snow on top of something. Yeah, they're always like little cameos, you know. Yeah, they really are beautiful yeah, gems, yeah, like almost. Yeah. See, this is what I like about photography or any, any art form. Mm -hmm. see, when you get all through this seeking, Mm -hmm. and looking and experimenting. I'd like to come up see, with something that I can hang on the, on my wall. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I went through Africa, I don't know how many, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pictures, and I didn't have one to hang on my wall. And all the thousands I've taken, I've got six pictures that I've framed. But at least I feel, you know, mm -hmm. Hey, Ma, you got look. those six, yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, look. Okay, just as a, this is a, just a quick question here that may not lead anywhere, but did, um, like when, when Art ran these classes, did he by any chance have any actual prints that he owned by Maholi or by Weston? I mean, had he, had he been able or interested, or was anybody really like acquiring work in that way? Like today, of course, collecting has become quite a different thing, but. At that point in time, I'm wondering, was he interested in that? Well, I don't know. There's Palmer from California now. I stayed with Joe Monroe, and I spent a weekend with him in the western part of Michigan. And he had about 50 original Wessons. This is a man named Palmer? Palmer. Well, Joe, was, Joe Monroe would know him. Who was a Detroiter at this time? Detroiter. Palmer, I guess his name. We stayed with him in his house near the western part of Michigan one weekend, and uh, he, he had uh, stuck in a cloud in the corner, I bet 30 or 40 wet the Westerns. That's incredible to speculate. But I know today too. Collecting, uh, there are some collectors in Detroit, the Art Institute here is collecting. Yeah, now there of course there are. And, uh, and this dancer, teacher, Berg, is collecting photographs now. In the Detroit area. You have the 831 gallery out there in Birmingham and so on. Mm -hmm. yeah, well, the Art Institute wants one of my Mortensons that's out there on a wall. Oh, yeah, I was admiring They said any time they'll come and get it and reframe it and you know, take good care of it. So I told them someday I'd do it. Yeah, I was, I was noticing those myself. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> they're, uh, they're pretty interesting. Because when, when I was active, yeah, we didn't poo-poo Mortensons. I was judging and photographic salons. I ran the Detroit salon uh, a number of years. I was obsessed with it and uh, these things were, were, were judged. Masson uh, also. What's he Masson? The Belgian? Yes. Leonard Masson? Yeah. Yeah, Margaret's got a Masson that I'd like to have. Oh, really? Uh, I could have swiped them. You know, I, I could have lost them in the package. And you know, it's incredible too for the prices all these things are bringing now. Oh, it's, yeah. it's, it's outrageous. Every year it doubles, it seems like now. Well, um, I heard another report. I mean, there's a bunch of loose ends. I'm kind of bouncing off you people because you would uh, be able to recall perhaps that. Uh, did Art have any brothers or sisters that you were aware of that were involved? He had a sister and she used to do commercial photography in town here. Mm -hmm. Did you call her name? Or what type of, or who she. Did she do portrait work or something like that? Or, uh, she did a lot of uh, weddings and commercial photography. She was a younger sister? I think she was older. Because hmm. I... Dorothy? Yeah, yeah, that sounds like it. Let's see what he can. He's got some record there. I'll look for him. How does that fit into photography? Yeah, that's what I was just wondering. 
<laughs> Someone's going to fix the bathroom, maybe, huh? Geez, I wonder if he's got, uh, re you know, records of commercial photographers' accounts that go back that far. How old is the camera shop? Do you uh, know? I can't remember. I can't remember when it wasn't here. Uh-huh. When, when was the Detroit Camera Shop started, just as a point of reference? 1916. 1916? So, yeah, recently celebrated 60 years in business. Right. Um, I had another thing here. This uh, probably is not, it's just a fluke, but a um, uh, man mentioned to me that at some point, and it would have been around 1960, there was a guy named Siegel who worked for a color lab, Color Perfect, who was, was referred to as Bunny Siegel. I think he said who said he was Art's brother, may have been pulling his leg, and uh, what well, he wasn't even sure. The fellow told me this, but uh, I wonder if that rung, rings any bells of any kind. Or Preston that. Sweet um, was the, one of the first color photographers locally. Sweet, like Sweet, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Preston, I worked with him for a while in color. Okay. Well, let's see. Uh, As far as you know, the sister would have been the only uh, relative of his active. He may have had a younger brother. I seem to have a vague recollection, but I, I never Who, knew. This might have been his younger brother, but no yeah, one that you've had any contact but with. But his sister, I knew her pretty well. She, for a while, she was quite active as a commercial photographer. Let me ask about, uh, specifically, in the, when, the, when the photo guild took on that name, did that mean anything when that change occurred, or why did that occur, do you recall? Well, I think one of the reasons that is was because we were getting away from 35 millimeter, wasn't it? That's but, it, you know. They didn't want to be called miniatures anymore. It's beginning to include other... And we're growing. You're, you know, you're, you know, had to go to the U of D and use the big auditorium there for members, you know. And uh, we, there's no limit, you know, bring all these names and, you know, there's, you know, the, all these people come there and they say, how can you afford, you know, not just for once, for the year, you know, every month we would have some famous man down there. And, and it was no problem, you know, if you grow and you've mm -hmm. got members. Yeah. yeah, you can afford it then. But the, the whole concept um, was, was, was different, you know, let's, let's reach out, we're no longer baby pictures, you know, hey ma, look, you know. And we became very critical among ourselves. And perhaps the, the word guild itself suggests a, a kind of a level of craftsmanship, at least, that you're yeah. trying to... And today, they, they're, they're big, and they're good. Yeah, yeah they're, a lot they're of good. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it, I mean, they, they, they come up with uh, good quality. Big, blue, and glossy. Yeah. You know, nothing wrong with quality, as long as you, you know... Well, the interesting thing here about the Photo Guild and like bringing Ansel uh, in, for example, is that uh, I, I have heard Art talk at, at gatherings of people teaching photography and say that he started the Photo Guild and that he brought Ansel, you know, sort of, I don't know quite uh, what he implies by saying that he did it, meaning perhaps he's the only person present at that meeting that knows about it. Because, of course, this is just what you said to me on the phone. You said, well, I, I was involved in this and, uh, and so on. Well, then, then that's right. Well, what was his role in, like, bring, and particularly in bringing Ansel, for example? Do you recall? Was he one well, of the... maybe he did, you know. You know. Would he have been one of the main agitators? That, that's correct, you know. He, he did it, too. I don't want, you know. is, is it correct that you did it, too? No, I didn't do it. He, I did you know. no, what, what it might have been is that, you know, he's the kind of, you can say, well, why don't you bring Mahali Nagi here and, you know, get somebody that can talk photography. And somebody probably picked up the challenge and said, okay, we will. And, and wrote the letters and made the arrangements. Yeah. Yeah. I did it. Yeah. Now, he may have, I don't recall, he may have instigated. Made it, he very made likely needle. did. You he know, probably needled his and did it. Yeah. You were the one who did the organization. I did. Oh, yeah. You know, I did it. Yeah. But, but he did it in that uh, he told me and suggested and prodded me into it and right. so on. You know. Yeah. Isidore is the guy who actually made the photo grill come of age. When he took it over. He really built it. And, and when you were, when you were president? Before I was president and then after, years after, I, uh, when I get involved, it becomes an obsession. 
and he was very deeply involved there for 10 or 12 years at yeah. least. So, mm -hmm. so from very a couple important. years before this period when you were president, which is 41, 42, on through yeah. 9 or 10 years after that, around in there. But the one thing that I am proud of is what we did it during the war. The portraits. The portraits. Okay. Tremendously. Sounds like a huge amount of work. It was. Every day, seven days a week. Hmm. And uh, we set up, and I, and I learned portraiture. We could take it, bang, bang, bang them out, all with tripods, and one light. One light? Oh, God, I can, I can give a lecture on portraiture with one light. Mm -hmm. Because if you can't see, if you stand there, sit there, and if I can't take one little light and move it around, so Mr. Worst can't see what's happening mm -hmm. to the shadows. So, right. And if I put it up here, you're, this is what's happening to your eyes. You can see it. Mm -hmm. And you can see what's happening to your glasses. Mm -hmm. And so on and so on. Yeah, with one light. Now if you want to put one behind you, you know, to make it look fancy, all right. <laughs> well, but at that point in time, during the war, Art would have, he had left Detroit, more or less. He was not involved in that phase of it. Yeah, he had gone, I guess. I, uh, now, see, this, this, uh, this camera annual thing is 41. And he says here, as maybe you read, that... Um, uh, he says a bunch of things. He, he says, uh, at present doing photojournalism and commercial photography in Detroit. And then very shortly after that, he began working for what was then the Office of War Information, you know, which was the thing, which was the survival of the Farm Security Administration, Roy Stryker's unit. I guess there was just an exhibit here, which I missed, uh, of some of the people's work in, in Michigan, including, including his. Which I, th I, I gather was not, his work I think was not especially memorable in that you know, compared to a lot of the people involved in that. Um, he also says here that he wrote advertising copy for three years. Does that make any sense? Well, yes. I mean, he would do anything that, you know, buy bread. Oh, he brought also Ouija here. He, he was an instigator he, he, of that? Yeah, we, no. Well, I... Oh, you say maybe. just... I brought Ouija. I did the paperwork, the, the legwork of bringing Ouija. None of these were... Probably none of them was my own idea. But I, I, you need somebody that's going to write the letter or make sure. a phone call. And he's staying, spend a week here too. Okay, I have one of his, Ouija's best pictures from the opera house, that uh, girl looking, um, an old hag looking at uh, the two um, socialites coming to the opera. Mm -hmm. I, I still have one of his originals. Uh, yeah, well after they took him off the murder beat and put him on the society beat and it was the same. <laughs> Did the same things with them, I guess. Well, um, I think we're uh, somewhere in, in the vicinity here of having, you know, covered a lot of the ground. I, my, uh, what I'm really interested in, partly, is finding any, like, where could I locate, like, back newsletters, you know, and and kind of go over some of these. Does anyone have a file of them? Do they? Are they here at the camera shop or some? Now I know Margaret Peterson said she had some such material. She wasn't sure just how much, and she was going to Xerox what she had and send it to me. But is there uh, any place you know where that stuff is floating around these days? I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think so. I've got everything else, says my wife. Uh huh. But nothing that uh, relates to this. Uh, Well, as a historian, I'm a great. I, I love to find people who are incredible pack rats, you know, <laughs> who kept every mimeograph sheet I got in the mail, you know, in this period of time, because that's uh, that stuff is uh, invaluable, really. Now it's crazy because it's junk mail almost, you know, sometimes when you get it. But uh, okay, well, she has uh, got something, and we'll see uh, what she comes up with. Um, well, thank you, Mr. President. <laughs> yeah, thank you both very much for uh, spending your time. And, uh, Hard to go back 40 years, isn't it? And, you know, well, yeah, I'm a lawyer. A I'm a lawyer 52 years. Yeah. Were you active as a lawyer at that time? I've always been active as a lawyer until the last 25 years. I mean, <laughs> no, uh, I've been around here for 58 years myself. Well, young man, I yeah. am. I'm married 47 years, same one. Let me, let me ask this just as a footnote to the, to the record here. I uh, don't, don't mean to be indiscreet, but could you tell me uh, each what the date of your birth is, just to place... Uh, Place this in time. It's July, not 1812, I know that. July 20th, 1905. I'm 72 now. Mm -hmm. Mr. Uh, August 19th, 
Oh, young man. Yeah, I, I didn't know you were that much older than me. Uh, <laughs> well, neither of you can beat Bernie Tabbitt, who I interviewed two years ago, and she's uh, she was born in 1898. And, uh, See, I found somebody older than yeah. me. Yeah, it's and you it's know, harder all the time, you know. <laughs> you know, kind of, she's. I don't know how familiar you are with Bernie Tabbitt's yeah. uh, work, but you probably are, and she. Uh, She's still going great guns, you know. I mean, she's going to be 102, she says. Barbara Green, uh, I don't know if you know from the East, Barbara Green, she retired her husband, Ernest Green, and he was quite a poet. And she was giving lectures with her slides and his poems. Hmm. And she, three weeks ago, had a heart attack. And I talked with her on her anniversary a week ago. I called her. But um, she's in a nursing home now. Recovering, but, but uh, we had her here. She was quite well known among the old timers in the East. Okay, can I get a copy? Oh, Frank, Frappery, 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 one of the other American Photographic Publishing Company. Yeah, we had him here too. Yeah, now he's a very interesting figure. You know what's happened, and this is a, to me, as a, a very interesting thing. Of course, you're probably familiar with the name Beaumont Newhall. Oh yes. You know, and. Uh, my impression is uh, the more uh, the more I talk to people, that what happens really is that that Beaumont and his wife Nancy had really collaborated on everything he did pretty much simply, had a certain viewpoint about photography, you know, and, the, and there's his history book, which is really the only reasonably thorough book about the history of photography, particularly American photography, and there's whole areas of photography that that which there's really no mention at all, you know, and people like Fassbender and people like Frappe, their names are not even in it, you know, because he, they were kind of the people that he personally they didn't, didn't like, like you know. Yeah. Well, and now I, I'm coming across all this stuff, and I think a new, whole new history is going to have to be written here. I picked up property at the station, you know, and uh, first thing he wanted, you know, talking, had some coffee, and then he went to a phone booth. He became a, he's a, an antique bug, mm. and he went through the yellow pages. And a list of antique dealers, and he tore out the page for the phone book. <laughs> Standard operating procedure. Yeah. Um, and I, he had a picture, storm over Portofino, trucking. And one year, I wandered into Portofino, just by chance. And for some subconscious reason, that name sounded familiar. And I fell in love with the place, too. Mm -hmm. So I found a room with an old widow and stayed there. And wound up in jail, but it's a... <laughs> I've been to more jails. <laughs> if you travel the right way, it happens. <laughs> yeah, but they, they, they never take me seriously. You know, I don't take them seriously, you know, because I figure this is going to add to my biographical sketch, you know. <laughs> In Egypt, in, the, in Turkey, wherever it is, you know, for some reason or other, a man going with a tripod. It's a threat, uh, yeah. potentially. Yeah. yeah. Well, and God, of course, today, it's, uh, you put you in jail today, you might, <laughs> might not be heard from again. No, it's, it's I, I, I told my wife Irene, I said, please, don't go to your congressman. Leave me alone, <laughs> and um, I'll get out of it. See? And I always have. You know? So you mentioned Irene, which is uh, also uh, Art's wife's name, but he was married. This is his second wife, though. Oh, Did right. would you have known his first wife? Was he married? No, I don't think he, he wasn't married. When he was here. I'm sure he wasn't. Mm. I'm sure he wasn't. Because I, all I've heard is that his first wife, who he parted with quite a while ago, because he's got a 23-year-old son by his, his current wife, but uh, she later remarried John Chancellor. The news no. which <laughs> is interesting. And, but I, uh, I wanted to perhaps you knew her. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure. And um, to add to the confusion, I, I, I trust that neither of you have any special reservations uh, for putting this tape in the archives at the museum. We haven't uh, insulted anybody too terribly. As long as you can beep out the revolting comment I made. <laughs> I think we corrected that on the tape <laughs> pretty reasonably. Yeah. Okay. Fine. Eddie. It was nice. It was nice talking to you. It was nice doing the fat with you. Yeah. I'm glad I could bring you together here yeah. for a few moments. I'm sorry that uh, Mark Christensen couldn't make it. I was interested you to hear say hello to Mark. Okay, go say. Go. Right. And when you see Art, say hello for Oh, me. I certainly yeah. will. Uh, okay.
This uh, conversation was recorded in Edwurst's office of the Detroit Camera Shop Saturday afternoon, starting around a quarter of two, September 24th, 1977. My name is James McQuaid.